Yes, I that's, not, that's not evil. Being hostile to all mankind and subversive is not evil. Well, I have to say that because Saint Paul said the Jews are enemies of the entire human race. They are. What do you think of Jordan Peterson?、Uh, did you see the video about where he said I can't do it? Adam, I'm trying to do you a favor. Don't make your ignorance normative for the rest of us. Don't don't use those kinds of slurs. What? Are there are no slurs here. Definitely, our most requested guest,、uh, Dr. E. Michael Jones, a man who needs no introduction. I mean, it is. That's what they. That's what they pay the Rockefeller Foundation to do.、Uh, you're not supposed to know what I just told you. They didn't know about this. They didn't know what we know now. Is there any argument you can use to wake them up? Yeah, I think、uh, God had a plan for your life. Well, you'd be jerking off every curvy piece of driftwood you saw at the beach. Maybe you would. And you're consistently refusing to talk about pornography.、Uh, Pete Buttigieg、yeah. seems to be the exhibit A of that process. Yes, yes. Because you think that the anus is a sex organ, don't you, Pete?、Uh, Richard Spencer hands out spears and he says, "Charge the machine gun nest." Doctor Jones. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of the heads of the Federal Reserve were Jews, but after a certain period. Period of time that seemed to be the case. Hello and welcome to another episode of EMJ Live from、uh, foggy and gloomy South Bend, Indiana, on this late December evening.、Uh, we we the、uh, the things that are wrong with this world continue to, to be wrong, and the people who are responsible for the wrongs of this world continue to make excuses. Uh, but it's interesting to find out what type of excuses they make. So uh, recently, uh, pr- uh, Prime Minister Erdogan、uh, attacked Benjamin Netanyahu and said he was like Hitler. Oh, we're back into that story again. Uh, uh, everybody's got to reduce someone to Hitler, and I'm saying in this instance, no, it's not the case here.、Uh, and Netanyahu is worse than Hitler. Uh, that's going to get a rise out of some people, but the point that I'm trying to make here is not to assign blame here. <clears throat> I don't have a moral、uh, calculus here that can calculate something like that by simply counting dead bodies. It's not that simple.、Uh, but I'd like to go to what、uh, I think、uh, was a significant admission on the part of Benjamin Netanyahu t-、uh, just this week. Uh, an admission of what the real hidden grammar of the uh, war uh, that uh, the Israelis are waging on Gaza is, and this came as as、uh, from his own mouth in an op-ed piece which appeared in the Wall Street Journal.、Uh, in that editorial,、uh, Benjamin Netanyahu invoked. The Holocaust narrative to justify both the social engineering of Germany and Japan, and the ongoing Israeli genocide in Gaza. Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has said that his country's military operation against the Hamas terror group will not be completed until the Gaza Strip and Palestinian society as a whole are quote deradicalized close quote. 
citing the example of defeated Germany and Japan after the Second World War. This is remarkably similar to what Vladimir Putin says about the Ukraine. He's bring, he wants to bring about the denazification of the Ukraine. But what are we, what are we talking about here? Uh, Gaza, con, not Nuahu continued, uh, will have to be de-radicalized. Schools must teach children to cherish life rather than death. And imams must cease to preach for the murder of Jews. Palestinian civil society needs to be transformed so that its people support fighting terrorism rather than funding it. And then he goes on to, to spill the beans here. Successful de-radicalization took place in Germany and Japan after the Allied victory in World War II. Notice he says after the Allied victory. Today, both nations are great allies of the U.S. and promote peace, stability, and prosperity in Europe and Asia. Uh, and then this is comment from the New York Post. Allied forces occupied Germany for four years following the defeat of the Nazis in May 1945, while the occupation of Japan following the country's surrender lasted until April 1952. So that's the standard uh, talk about what happened after World War II, but uh, no one is telling you the real story. If there's ever a massive story that has been completely submerged and hidden from the public, it is the story of what happened to the German people after World War II. And that began with a meeting in Potsdam. It's known as the Potsdam Conference. It, Potsdam is a suburb of uh, Berlin. It took place on August, uh, or in the summer of uh, 1945, when Berlin is totally in ruins. And on August 2nd, 1945, uh, the conference made this announcement. Quote, the three governments, this is, America, United States, England, and the Soviet Union recognize that the transfer to Germany of German populations remaining in Poland, Czechoslovakia, and Hungary will have to be undertaken. They agree that any transfers that take place should be effected in an orderly and humane manner. Closed quote. This protocol extended Poland's western border 150 miles westward to a boundary marked by the Oder and Nysa rivers deep inside German territory. And in doing so, it put into motion, quote, uh, the greatest ethnic displacement, displacement or involuntary migration of human beings in modern times, and perhaps even in the history of the human race. This is not an exaggeration. Figures vary for the total number of Germans who were forcibly displaced from their homelands in Eastern and Central Europe at the end of the war and afterwards. German statistics give the figure as 17 million 700,000 people, Germans, or four times the population of Switzerland in 1945. This is the total number of Germans living in the area in which the displacements took place. Their 700-year homelands in the eastern provinces of the Reich, uh, namely East Prussia, Pomerania, Eastern Brandenburg, and Silesia, as well as the Hanseatic cities of Danzig and Memel, as well as the Bohemian Sudetenland in Czechoslovakia. These were German settlements throughout Eastern Europe, uh, and it was estimated that 1,100,000 of these people were killed during the war, leaving 10 million as the total displaced people. The great majority now, we're talking about uh, the, the Soviet army is advancing, okay? That's the first wave of displacements. These people are disrupted. It's old men, it's women, and it's children because the able-bodied men were all in the army trying to fight a losing battle, trying to hold back the Soviet army. 
So these people were set off, uh, sent off in the middle of uh, winter, the winter of 45, 46, uh, with basically all what they could carry, uh, trudging through the snow, heading hundreds of miles eastward at a time when uh, both the Polish and Czech populations felt that they could do anything to these people out of revenge for their, uh, what they had done, the Germans had done to their countries. L lots of atrocities committed by both the Poles and the Czechs uh, throughout this period of time. Uh, the main famous Czech atrocity was in Alsik, uh, that's the German word, uh, the names all got Czechified at a certain point. Um, this story has not been told. No one talks about this. And so I am grateful to Benjamin Netanyahu for bringing it up. This is what he's talking about. This is the plan that he is going to put into effect in Gaza. And it didn't come from Hitler. It came from the allies, both the uh, Americans and the Soviets, who did this to the German people after the war. The great majority of these displacements took place at a time when many millions more Germans were being held as prisoners of war in captivity abroad, including more than 4 million in the Soviet Union, 1 million in France, and 1 million in Great Britain. If the total of German displaced people is added to the total of German prisoners of war, then it would seem that during the first two years after the end of the war, a total of nearly 30 million people of the German race or a little less than half the population of West Germany today were at one time or other displaced from their homelands. This mass exodus of the Teutonic race has left little trace in the history books outside of West Germany itself. The fact that over 2 million Germans lost their lives during the course of this exodus is also largely ignored and even disbelieved. In that melancholy catalog of modern massacre and genocide, Jill Elliott's 20th century book of the dead, there is no mention of it, even though its nearest equivalent, the expulsion and the massacre of millions of uh, Arm Armenians by the Turks in 1914 is included. The expulsion of nearly 14 million Germans from the hereditary homelands was carried out amid so much cruelty and suffering that it must be seen as no less a crime against humanity than those for which the Nazi leaders were at very, that very time being tried in Nuremberg. And the death of the two million of those Germans was as much a premeditated act of genocide, if a less systematic one, as the German extermination of the Jews. Almost as many German civilians died as a result of the hardship and brutality they experienced during their flight or expulsion from their homes in Eastern and Central Europe after the war, as the total Japanese dead for the whole of the Second World War or twice as many as the total dead on all sides in the Korean War, or four times as many as died in the Spanish Civil War. The heir, that legacy, finds its most recent representative in Benjamin Netanyahu. He is putting into the, uh, this, his playbook was created by the Allies after World War II, when the German people were absolutely defenseless. It's a miracle that any of these Germans survived. It's a miracle that the German nation survived after this punitive attack. But now we see here the purpose of the Holocaust narrative, which is to divert our attention from what happened to the Germans, divert our attention from these war crimes, and use it as an excuse to advance Jewish interests. The first advance was the Jewish invasion of Palestine, which took place during the immediate end of World War II. The Jews were being funneled, sent out. They were being picked up. This is total chaos, okay? You've got millions of Germans being shipped in cattle cars to a Germany, these ethnic Germans from all the East countries that I talked about, 
being shipped in cattle cars to a country that has been completely destroyed. 90% of Berlin or hum and Hamburg were destroyed. There is Why do we have all of those dead bodies in Bergen-Belsen? I'm not denying that there were dead bodies in trenches in Bergen-Belsen. Uh, the reason is that they starved to death or died of typhus because of the miserable conditions that existed in Germany at that time. Now, the Allies added to that misery by sending millions, somewhere between 10 and 14 million Germans in the direction of Germany that couldn't feed the population that existed there then. It's a miracle that Germany survived. This is now the plan that Benjamin Netanyahu is going to put into effect if some people, if someone doesn't prevent him, to the people of Gaza. It is the ethnic cleansing, the forced expulsion of the Palestinian people from one of the last strong uh, uh, plots of land that they uh, uh, still have control over, limited control over, the expulsion of those people into Egypt or any other country that will take them, and then the saturation bombing of the entire area to destroy every single uh, uh, aspect of infrastructure and the murder, the deliberate murder of women and children and any civilians left there in an act of genocide. That's what it is. And the reason, the main reason that Netanyahu can get away with this is because the Allies did it to Germany. That's the problem here. You can't blame, if you bring this up, it's wrong. All these, the Netanyahu is going to stand around and say, well, you did it to Germany. He did it. He's hinting at it here when he says, talks about the re-education. Uh, what's, the, what's the word he used? The, the, uh, the de-radicalization of, no, it wasn't that. That's not what it was. It was the systematic extermination and ethnic cleansing of the German people that he's talking about. And that's the real plan for Gaza. That's my rant. Let's hear what you have to say. All right. Hello, everybody. Once again, Merry Christmas to all. Um, the voice you're hearing is Mike Bajakis. I'm Dr. Jones' assistant here. I run the chat here. Uh, quick rules for those who are new. Um, our call-ins are made via the Telegram channel. Link will be in description for those on the various platforms. In Telegram, I'll call on those who raise their hands. Uh, and then later in the stream, we'll read off the text questions uh, from the chat, various chats. Um, try to keep on question, uh, try to keep on a subject, try to keep to one question at a time. Be respectful of people's time and do not forget to unmute yourself. Okay, I'm gonna jump to the chat here and let's see who's first. One second, all right. Daniel Stone. Uh, go ahead, Daniel. Hello, Dr. Jones. So Hello. Crew. Merry Christmas belatedly and Happy New Year to you, sir. Same to you. Thank you. Uh, blessings be upon your household and your crew. Um, I have a question for you. Um, do you still believe that the so-called Western democracy model for our governments going forward is wise to continue in the same way that we've been doing it? Or do you think that we should be embracing what I believe to be more of a heavenly model, which is monarchy? Do you think that we have a chance to be able to there is, change people's minds? Okay, no, I don't think so. Monarchy has no chance whatsoever here. It's not gonna happen. It has never been part of the American experience. I've said this before, but I was in France, supposed to speak at the, at the Vendee, the man who congratulated the gathering was the heir of the King of France. If you want to restore the monarchy, you look him up in the phone book. He's there. He's waiting. That's never been the case in America. John Thomas Paine said, in America, the law is king. Now, I think that that is, is a viable, the original understanding of unity and diversity of states, a kind of federalist uh, uh, system where you allow local rights and a weak central government uh, is doable, but that's not the system we have now. Uh, so obviously the system we have now is not, is not going to work. 
system we have now is one dollar, one vote. It is total plutocracy, uh, oligarchy ruled by ruthless elites who do not believe in any moral restraint, the moral law, or any social order. So it, it will break down all by itself. It's breaking down all by itself right now because it's simply untenable. It had a moment where I think it could have uh, worked, but it was destroyed. I've talked about this in many different ways, about how Logos was struggle, strangled in its cradle in, uh, at Notre Dame University. I could talk about Philadelphia, uh, which I did with uh, Jim Goad yesterday, uh, about uh, 1962, uh, when um, I went as a 14-year-old to the 4th of July celebration, and there on the dais was Catholic mayor of Philadelphia, Catholic governor of Pennsylvania, and a Catholic president of the United States of America. That was the way forward. I think that Kennedy, over that period of time, had a conversion experience, uh, largely, I think, through talking to people like Thomas Merton, and he decided that he was going to end the Cold War, uh, establishing back-channel communication with uh, Nikita Khrushchev, and that he was going to prevent Israel from getting the atomic bomb, and that's why he was murdered. And so the, the American America consistently has taken turns to the dark side throughout its history and strangled whatever good there was in that original form of government. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think we've been kind of in some ways the, the big bully with the little bully and the little bully is the one that's got us kind of, you could say, by the nethers. But, uh, you know, whether it's through blackmail or bribery or any mixture of means it's uh it's interesting but sadly very many most people just want to remain in the dream state and you know pray for the constitution and reestablish the constitution i'm like you know listening to peter helland it's been an interesting way to kind of compare now versus you could say that the the model that has been the standard for so long but yeah either way yeah thank you sir you're welcome next we have colin neighbors Go ahead, Colin. All right. Hey, Dr. Jones. How's it going? Good. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. I can't, can't hear you now. Um, I was going to ask could, if you could comment a little bit on the social engineering of, I know you mentioned the social engineering of Germany, but I was also going to ask if you could maybe offer some comment on the social engineering of Japan and maybe what, what happened there. Um, I've noticed that recently that it seems like they're changing maybe some of their immigration requirements and they might be um, accepting more immigrants. It says about 10% of their workforce could become, uh, you know, foreigners. Uh, so I was wondering if maybe you could comment on that a little bit and what your opinion on that is. Yeah, I wish I could. I have not looked into Japan at all. Okay. I really haven't. Uh, I wish, I wish I could, but to be honest with you, I don't think I can because I don't speak Japanese. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm now working on the, the revised second edition of the, uh, the uh, Holocaust narrative, dealing with the topic that I discussed here uh, today. And the two most crucial books that I'm reading are both in German and they haven't been translated into English. So I can delve into the German situation in a way that I cannot uh, deal with the Japanese. Uh, now, that being said, you know, uh, how would I go about this? Uh, you know, I'd start by talking about Godzilla, okay? Because Godzilla was an attempt on their part to deal with, uh, basically, with the uh, Leviathan, which is the uh, Navy, the American Navy and the atomic bomb. Uh, and I can give you anecdotes um, of just personal experience being in uh, Washington, D.C., giving a, a lecture. And at this point, uh, after the lecture, a Japanese lady comes up to me and says to me, uh, Japan will never convert to Christianity. And I said, why not? And she said, because if we do, the Jews will take over our culture. All I can give you are these anecdotes and say, I, I am not the guy to do this research uh, uh, because I need, you need uh, to speak Japanese to do it. 
Okay, I gotcha. Um, and I also just wanted to add, thank you very much for uh, signing all the books that I've ordered from you. I really appreciate it. I also want to let you know I never plan on selling these. I'll be keeping these in my family and, until the books fall apart. Yeah. So I really appreciate it. Yep. In, in 500 years, they'll be worth a lot of money. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Jones. Have a good You're one. welcome. You too. Next, we have uh, Quentin Heisler. Uh, go ahead, Quentin. Hi, Dr. Jones. Happy Hello. New Year. How Thank are you? you. Same to you. I've been listening to Tolkien's um, Father Christmas letters on Audible in, in light of the season. And I remember you've been you've said this in countless interviews about how the Greeks knew that um, repeating fairy tales that they call, you know, the mythos became very um, tricky and very, I think, injurious to society. So can you go more into how they grew out of the mythos into logos and what happens when, I mean, mythology can be, I, I get a kick out of it, but the dangers in acting as if that's some substitute for logos. Right. It is. So you're, we're talking about the same time in Greek history. <laughs> Let's say there was a collapse of everything in the Aegean in that area <clears throat> around 1300 BC, which was also the time of the, uh, the um, Trojan Wars. And for about 400 years, nobody did anything. There's no no sign of any intellectual activity. Everything just almost ground to a halt. And then there was a, a bounce back around 800 BC. And at this time, you had the emergence of the Homeric epic in, in written form. And also you had the emergence around the same time of philosophy. And they went side by side uh, until uh, the Socrates came along. And Socrates basically said... We should not be teaching uh, Homer the poetry to young people because it will lead to their moral corruption. Uh, because it, this, God does not act the way these Greek gods do. These Greek gods are obviously human beings acting according to human passions. You know, Zeus turning himself into a bull so he can rape some good-looking chick. This is not something God would do. And so we should stop teaching uh, poetry because it corrupts the morals of the youth. That's what he said. Now, obviously, he's got a kind of, is that true? Are there truths? I, I mean, I've read the Iliad. I, I don't think there is no moral center to the Iliad. There's none whatsoever. Uh, uh, it's just, you know, kill or be killed. And that's that. And, you know, tough luck. If you lose, you'll we'll drag your body around. And then if I, if I do that, I'm going to be punished too. So everybody's being punished. It's a mess. And I think that at that time, the first movement away from that was simply trying to figure out, is there an ultimate reality to the universe? And that led Thales to say it was water. And then with, uh, with uh, Heraclitus, we had a breakthrough because he said it was Logos. First guy to use Logos in that sense. And then finally... <coughs> They, they came along with Socrates, who basically moved, came out of that lawyer culture and uh, that uh, began when they realized they couldn't examine the world in any detail anymore and proposed ideas that basically revolutionized the whole way of looking at the world through uh, a, a, an acuter, a more acute moral understanding of the human being. Does that answer your question? at 100 percent thank you so much you're welcome all right thank you quentin let us go to mv next go ahead mv dr jones thanks for uh, clearing up i didn't know all that in detail about the people from those western or uh, eastern areas and I, I suspected that's what went on it was pretty terrible and now that netanyahu is talking about doing the same thing i can't help but wonder has the Vatican decided to review, and I'm sure they won't, but I got to ask anyway rhetorically, have they decided to review their recognition of Israel as a state, which they did in 1963? I don't know why they did it other than politics, but uh, now it seems like a perfect time. To uh, I, for, uh, first of all, it was not in 1963, as I believe. I think it was much later. I think it was under John Paul II, who was determined to have good relations with the Jews, even though the Jews were determined equally to exploit his good nature and and uh, cheat him and and scheme and not fulfill the the uh, the uh, agreements that they signed, so I th I think it was much later than that. But if you're asking if okay. the Vatican is going to rescind it, I would say no. Why they they signed it? They are willing to hold to the agreement. 
but the, uh, the other side is not. It's not. And so maybe you can fault them for that. But I mean, it's very similar to the situation uh, of the Concordat with the Nazis, which the church signed in 1933. Uh, it's, the Jews invariably try to you know, point the finger and say, you're awful people. You're, well, there was nothing wrong with signing a Concordat. Uh, and the same thing happened. Hitler did not hold to it. Uh, the church is trying to hold him to the words that he signed, and Hitler did, wasn't worth the paper was written on to Hitler. So the church is not going to renege on something because someone else is not uh, upholding their side of the bargain. Okay, it was it was Moskowitz actually who quoted that in a tweet response to you. That's where I got that date, sixty three. Maybe he's wrong. I think yeah, he's wrong. It's much later than that. Okay. Also, um, regarding last week's subject about uh, Bishop Bannon, your tweet describing the uh, strange relationship with the bodybuilders, I think that explains everything as to Ben Shapiro's interview with him. I think Ben Shapiro knows he's compromised and gets him to say what he wants. I, I think I, I'm coming to this conclusion as well. This, this, this philo-Semitism, the thing he did most recently, which I talked about, is such a total distortion of the Gospels when it comes to the topic of the Jews, that there must be some type of hidden me, me reason for this. And all I can think of is blackmail. That's all I can Absolutely. think of. Thank you, Dr. Jones. You're welcome. All right. Onward here. Let's go to Lloyd, our friend Lloyd. Go ahead, Lloyd. Hi, Mike. Happy Christmas to you and your family. Thank you, Lloyd. Good to hear from you. Yeah. Swelter, yeah, 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 sweltering just, down there in Australia, right? No, it's actually quite good. It's quite mild. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I was just wondering, do you, is there any organised pushback with the genocide in Gaza? We're hearing sort of pockets. Uh, I just heard that South Africa are going to take Absol some. I was just going to mention that. I was just going to mention South yes. Africa. Now, the, the problem here with organised pushback is it's got to go to the United Nations. Now, that's organized pushback. The General Assembly is almost unanimous in its condemnation of behavior, uh, the behavior of the Israelis. Uh, and there are a few, ex uh, the United States, Israel, and then places like Nauru. I'm sure they promised the people in Nauru more fried chicken if they vote along with the United States on this. But the United States is totally isolated in this, in this world that they have created. But they have a veto in the Security Council. And that's what's holding up any type of effective action against Israel. Unless, can you explain, maybe, I'm, I'm not a, a lawyer uh, or uh, an international lawyer, uh, but maybe you can explain, maybe there's a chance of the South African uh, uh, move to succeed? Do you see it? Don't know. No, I don't know. I've just heard about it. Don't know any details. You know, are, are you optimistic that there'll be some sort of pushback that will actually do something positive? I think so. I think that uh, at the very least, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is going to run. The longer it goes on, the worse it is for Israel. Because it's they are suffering serious casualties that never get reported in the, uh, in the mainstream media. The longer it goes on, the more discontent they have in Israel. And Israel can break apart. I think this, I've said this before, this is the specter that's haunting people like Ehud Barak, who thinks that no, who knows that no Jewish kingdom has lasted more than 75 years. So that's always a possibility. Always a possibility. Thanks for that. Happy New Year to you and your family. And uh, thank you. Great work. Thank you, Lloyd. Good to hear from you. Thanks. Thank you, Lloyd. Moving on here, let's go to Patrick C. Go ahead, Patrick. A Merry Christmas, Dr. Jones. Thank you. Uh, um, it, your talk just now uh, made me think, uh, is America kind of like a Jewish kingdom, do you think? Well, they, yeah, one I mean, of the things that Barack said was that uh, the curse of 80 years applied to America. So 80 years after the uh, establishment of the Constitution, you had the Civil War, and the country broke apart. And I, you can make the uh, claim that a new, a new country took its place. It was totally different, I think, than the country envisioned by the Founding Fathers. 
where uh, separate states had powers to themselves. If you go, I mean, as late as the Civil War, if you go to the Gettysburg battlefield, you're not going to find uh, a monument to uh, the the United States Army or the Confederate Army. You're going to find a monument to the, the soldiers of New York who defended this position against the soldiers from Georgia who, who were attacking from the other side. As late as that, the, the states had the power. They were raising the armies. Well, that is all gone. So I think you could say that it did happen. The curse did happen to America. I think you could say that. Um, now, people like Benjamin Netanyahu, he he has in his office a glass uh, encased um, syringe in honor of the vaccine for COVID-19. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. Did, yeah. did Mr. Borla give it to him as a reward for turning the Israelis into lab rats for Pfizer? Yeah. Well, not only Israelis, but everywhere in the world. I mean, if you consider the Malthusian nature of what went on there and what continues to go on for that matter. but uh, I agree, but I think we still have to emphasize the fact that uh, – uh, Borla and Pfizer uh, and uh, Netanyahu turned their own people into lab rats. This is—you have to have this insight in order to understand what's really going on here. Which the, is the big which Jew, is, little Jew. That's right. That's situation. exactly what I was going to say. The big Jews using little Jews to advance their agenda. That's what as human shields. That's not me saying that. That's Israel Shamir has said it. Uh, uh, Gilad Osman has said something very similar. I just want to add one more thing. Um, I'm almost through the Father John Lenz's book on Christ and Dachau. Uh, good. Very good book and uh, very relevant to current day. Yes. Actually, now I'm going to add to that. Uh, the chapter I'm going to add to that is Father Fitkow's book, uh, My 33rd Year. That's what, that's the uh, another memoir of what happened. But this is Fitkow. Uh, his story begins at the end of the war. He was not in Dachau, okay? He was waiting out in East Prussia. Uh, he had been persecuted by the Nazis, thrown into prison by the Nazis. They let him out, and then the next thing I know, it's the Soviets who throw him into prison. He's put doubly, the Catholics are being doubly persecuted here, and no one is telling their story. No one. We published this book 20 years ago, and I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing it back because it's worth reading as a compliment to Dachau's book. I, I'm sorry, to Lenz's book about Dachau and also Kenterick's book uh, about the uh, also about Dachau as a refutation of all these these white boys and Nazis who love the basically the conventional narrative, which is basically Hitler uh, versus the Jews, period, as if no one else suffered during the entire period of World War II and its aftermath. That's why it's important uh, to bring these stories out. And that's why it's important to read books like Christus and Dachau and my 33rd year. I know I, having been to Russia, I know that um, there's kind of like a, a joke over there that any factory that was built during the Soviet era and still exists to this day was built by Germans. That's right. That's exactly what they did. They dismantled. Look, it's a miracle. We used to talk about the economic miracle. There is a miracle that happens in Germany. Why they didn't? Why it didn't happen? The other side of the coin is that all of the areas that were ethnically cleansed, like the Sudetenland, like Ostpreußen, Schlesien, cities like uh, those places, they're the poorest parts of those countries. And all because because labor is the source of all value, and those Germans were great workers, and you had to be an idiot to expel Germans from your country and not expect an economic uh, economic consequences. So the the explanation for the German miracle is labor. It was the German workers who were forced into this country, and suddenly the cunning of reason, as I would say here. Because the German laborers were forced into the Sula country, they created the powerhouse that is Germany, the economic powerhouse that is Germany to this day. And the Jews are still trying to destroy them with Morgenthau 2.0, which is blowing up their pipeline and all that other type of stuff. 
Okay, thank you, uh, Patrick C. Let's go to where is it? Um, ah, Frank Carmel. Go ahead, Frank. Hi, Dr. Jones. Hello. Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Same to you. Yeah. Um, well, you you know you you talked about Gaza, and uh, you know that's just something that uh, every day I, I you know check the news on Al Jazeera to see what's going on. And, uh, you know, it's been going, going on for months now and doesn't seem like it's just, it just seems like it's just going to keep on going forever at this point. But um, I, I was thinking about uh, Israel in terms of Jonestown, you know, because it seems like they're on a suicidal path and it seems like they've declared war on the whole world. Um, and, you know, how can this end well? Yeah, well, this is, this is not new. This is exactly what happened when Israel rose up against the Roman Empire the first time around. The Roman Empire came back with a vengeance, and suddenly all these Jews found themselves up on this hilltop called Masada, and they all killed themselves. It was just big, one big suicide pact, and they didn't learn. And there are people now who are, who, who is it, Ben Shapiro? Who is it? Who was it? No, Tony Blinken in his memoir said he or, or his stepfather's memoir talked about Tony Blinken climbing Masada. He didn't want to take the elevator up. He climbed it to because of his dedication to the idea of Masada. Well, Tony, count us out, okay? If you Jews want to commit suicide on Masada, that's your business. But don't drag the United States of America into your suicide pact, please. Well, thank you very much. You're thank welcome. You. All right. Next, we have HJRR. Go ahead, HJRR. Yes, can you hear me? I can. Merry Christmas. Dr. Jones, I don't remember, before COVID, I guess it was 2000, I wrote to you about being fired from Cisco because I opposed their pushing of the LGBT faggotry at the company. I'm okay. in Poland. I live in Poland. Uh, good news. I wanted to just spread some good news. Look, I, I uh, spoke up about it. They terminated my contract. And uh, within two months, I received a new contract from other companies making probably twice as much money. And then during COVID, I actually had two 100% remote jobs here, making tons of money, living life. Uh, I have five kids here. I'm married to a Polish woman. And life is good. So I just wanted to say, don't be afraid to stand up. I think God is protecting me. God through will the whole protect life, you. Whole... I, I, God yeah. bless you. God bless you for uh, for your uh, life, your your family, and your courage to stand up to these bullies. God, God did bless you, and so thank you yeah. for sharing this because it's it's uh, encouragement for all of us out there that, that, that all of us who have taken a stand against what seemed like insurmountable odds. Uh, and God took care of us. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you, and God bless. You too. Okay, um, let's do uh, let's do one more here, and then we'll jump to the chats. So you guys start asking your questions in cozy rumble and what have you. All right, uh, was it Dag Dagtastic? Go ahead, Dagtastic. Don't forget to unmute yourself. Are you there, Dagtastic? Oh, sorry. Uh, hello, Dr. Jones. How hello. are you today? Good. Good. Um, did you hear about how the how lightning struck the St. Peter's statue in Buenos Aires? I did. It destroyed the halo, I did. the key, I did. and the blessing hand. Yes. Yeah, it's um, yeah. On, on Pope Francis's birthday, no less. And the day before that evil document was released. Like, I mean, God's trying to send a message, eh? Well, to be honest with you, I thought I I the I found out about this through Taylor Marshall, and I think it's a typical example of Taylor Marshall pandering to the crowd with itching ears. If you want my humble opinion, uh, that's what I felt when I saw that. Okay. I like Dr. Taylor though, so I think he's 
pretty bass, to be honest. I can sense that you don't like him, though. Why no, is that? I, I, love, I love Taylor Marshall. Christ. I don't have to go in why. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, have a good day now. You Bye. Too. All right, here we go to the chats. Let me bring up Cozy here. All right, Cozy, question from Fran, Fran Dan, Bag, Dad, Dad, uh, nine, whatever, a user from Cozy. <clears throat> Dr. Jones, what good possible scenarios can you imagine for the next decades based on current events in church and in the world? Good possible scenarios in the future. <laughs> I, I, the only good scenario is what I know about the present. If I know one thing, it's that I don't know the future because no one knows the future. Jesus Christ didn't know the future. I hope I'm not getting in trouble there, but he said some things are reserved to God the Father. And I think the future is one of them. And I'm just going to have to say that, you know, all I can do is, Talk about what I've already talked about. I think God has a way of working in ways that we can't imagine. And that's the whole point of faith. You're, my headlights only go so far. You know, it's like not far at all. And that's what I have to go upon uh, to get into the dark that is known as the future. So even if I could tell you some hopeful scenario what difference does it make my mind is not god's mind it's i i have no great insight into god's mind in this regard i'm just open to the fact that i by faith i believe that god is in charge of human history and that he wants a good outcome and that those for those who love god all things conspire to the good and i just have to leave it at that uh from main black bear o2 on rumble uh dr jones I need to start reading the Bible, uh, but I'm worried I may uh, get one that is tainted with Jewish influence. Do you know of a Bible that wouldn't be, or what year of Bible might be the best? I read the Jerusalem Bible. That's all I can say. It's I found that it's plain, straightforward English language, uh, and it's not ideological. It's not archaic like the King James Version. It's not ideological like other various versions. I'm not the guy, I'm not an expert on biblical translations. Uh, if you're interested in an expert, a guy whose re opinion I respect, then talk to Robertson Jennis, because I respect his opinion about the, and he's much more familiar with the, the ins and outs of the various translations than I am. On Cozy uh, from Revnat14, this is a two-parter. Uh, Dr. Jones, did you see that Ohio Republican Governor uh, DeWine voted a measure that would have banned or vetoed a measure that would have banned gender affirming care? And do you agree with me that the GOP has to be boycotted as a vehicle for resistance? Yeah, the, G the, gov the Republicans are the loser party. They are, as Joe Sobrin said, less of the same. They are, we just last week, didn't we go over this on the uh, on the show here, it was a Peter that we're talking about, about the local situation yeah. where with the Republican Party, uh, the Amy Drake comes on the scene full of energy, young lady who got uh, on the ballot uh, on, in office because of COVID. She bumps, realizes that the library, local library situation is a scandal. Okay. Uh, it's, it's Jew. It's not, it's, it's homosexual propaganda uh, for children. Uh, uh, corrupting the morals of children. Uh, the the Jew who's in charge of the library, uh, Feldbaum, is up for renewal. Amy says the Republicans have the vote. Let's go for it. And the Republicans stab Amy in the back. Uh, that's the story I did last week. This is typical, typical of Republicans. The people, the, the party that nominated Wendell Wilkie to lose to Roosevelt, the party that nominated uh, Bob Dole, uh, to basically lose to Bill Clinton and then purge the Republican Party of all the supporters of Pat Buchanan. Uh, don't take my word. Phyllis Schlafly, who was the abused wife of the Republican Party, wrote this book a, a long time ago. And as far as I can tell, the, the recent events 
in South Bend, Indiana, have only confirmed what she said about this group as the loser party. From a user on Cozy, uh, Dr. Jones, do you know why no pope, bishop, or priest hasn't come out and said that Jews have taken over? First of all, that's uh, not the way the church works. Okay, uh, it's too broad a statement. It would lead to ridicule of the church. They have to be aware of that, and uh, and that's the best case scenario. And then you're talking about people uh, who have been totally intimidated by Jewish power, who don't want to incur the wrath of uh, people like that. Uh, so you put these things together, and that's why you you this won't happen. Now, this comes at the tail end of one of the greatest failed experiments in the history of the Catholic Church, which is Catholic Jewish dialogue, which began in 1965 in the, the, the heady optimism of Vatican II, and it's led to nothing but an absolutely abysmal failure. So um, don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. You know, I think we've opened up a discussion that has needed to take place. No one, like, uh, I don't think anyone, when the Jewish revolutionary spirit came out, I think that was the final nail in the coffin of E. Michael Jones, according to a lot of people. And no one would have realized at that point, which we're talking about cl close to 15 years ago, that this discussion would get legs and that it's continuing and that it's spreading to the point where people are now going to have to take cognizance of it, uh, largely because of the behavior of the Jews in that period of time. They've gotten more and more irrational, more and more uh, 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 demonic uh, in insisting on a completely insane agenda that is wrecking the country and antagonizing the entire world. So I have to thank them for helping me uh, keep this discussion going. Okay, uh, from Untermensch on Cozy, uh, Dr. Jones, do you mind addressing the recent Kanye apology? The little that I, I, I said, look, Kanye, don't apologize to these people. <laughs> it's pointless. The, 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 the minute the apology came out, now I don't know what he said that provoked this apology. I don't know what he said before that, whether it was intemperate or not. He's known for being intemperate. He's known for shooting his mouth off. I mean, saying that he's going DEFCON 3, what the hell does that mean? I didn't even know what it meant. Uh, and then you have to look into it and you think, well, is that the best way to address the issue? He said that when uh, we were trying to make contact with him. Mike was on the phone with uh, Milo who was his, well, I don't know, his, what was he, the director of his political campaign or something like that. And we were trying to just get in the room with him and sit down and try and talk to him. You know, it didn't work. Uh, these people all felt that because Kanye had a jet that he didn't have to think about what he was going to say. Uh, and now he's doing the same thing. It's just, first of all, it's intemperate to make these statements. I don't know whether he made another DEFCON 3 statement this time around, whatever. But this is not the way to conduct this discussion because it, you, you make some extreme statement and then you back down and you issue an apology to people who will never, never forgive you. Never. Never. And the ADL made that perfectly clear in its latest response. So don't do it in the first place then. From Emperor Quintus, uh, has Dr. Jones done an interview exclusively on Islam and Logos yet? I don't know. Have I? I, I feel like there's a video out there somewhere. Well, the, yeah, no, no, we did one with uh, uh, Blake. I forget what his name is now. It's not his real name anyway. I met him in Tehran. We did an interview uh, with him that sort of headed. No, I, I really don't think. I'm, I'm hoping that... Uh, I was scheduled to go to Iran to do a book tour for the Farsi edition of Libido Dominandi in November, and the war broke out. And at that point, I thought, this is probably not the best time to go to Iran. Uh, but I'm still hoping that I can do it, because I think it's a discussion that, that uh, needs to take place. 
needs to take place. So in the meantime, uh, read the chapter on Islam in Logos Rising, because that's my attempt to basically start that discussion. It's a discussion that needs to take place. Now, in the same time that I'm doing this, I'm hearing all of these reports that the, the Muslims in Iran are converting to Catholicism or Christianity. I'm hearing all, I don't know whether it's true or not. I, a, a, a priest whose judgment I respect, uh, who is in the Mediterranean, not far from there, told me that he ran into a woman who uh, was uh, from Tehran. Uh, she, she was a convert to Catholicism. And uh, I was influential in, in that conversion. I, I mean, this is, I, I don't want to exclude anything here, but at this point, I don't know. And I, I, I'm, I'm wary of uh, the weaponization of Christianity, which is what uh, Dinesh D'Souza did in that propaganda film. It's a, a completely wretched propaganda film against the Iranians uh, because the heart of the film was all of these so-called Christians uh, who are, are the backbone of resistance to the regime. I, I said when I was met with Nader Talabzada of happy memory, a man who's gone, died uh, recently, the man who started the Hollywoodism conference that got me going to Tehran. I said, well, what about these these churches? Why are you persecuting these churches? And he said, basically, well, first of all, who said they're a church, which I have to agree with. So on one day one, on Monday, uh, the the uh, Iranian converts to some generic form, uh, some form of Christianity, not Catholicism. Uh, Tuesday, uh, he uh, creates his own church, uh, a house church. And then Wednesday, he's working to overthrow the government uh, because he's getting help from the CIA. This is not uh, a good sign. It's, 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 I hate this type of political weaponization of religion, and I, I don't think it can lead to any good. And I, I, I hope it doesn't prevent us from having a discussion of Logos, which I think the whole world has to have. And the Iranians are well-positioned, certainly the most well-positioned people in the Islamic world to have that now. As I said before, the first three non-Christians to stand before Christ at his birth were Persians. They're known as the Magi. And they got there because they had begun studying the Logos of the universe. There's an order to the universe. They understood that. And when the star appeared, they thought there's something significant here. And they had the courage to follow that star. And the star took them to the Logos incarnate. And at that point, they have you have to make your decision. I can't force anyone. And I the reason, one of the reasons I did that whole story on Nathaniel Hawthorne was a man who God took him to the confessional, the author of the Scarlet Letter, which was about the inability of the Puritan minister to go to confession. God took Nathaniel Hawthorne to the door of the confessional in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, and he couldn't do it. Like Jordan Peterson, he can't do it. I can't do it. So I, 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 I'm trying to contextualize this discussion by putting all of these caveats around it and saying, even with all these caveats, it's a discussion that has to take place, especially in a world where the Israelis can be so flagrant in their contempt for Logos, the Logos of practical reason. The moral order, their contempt, their daily contempt of that has created a crisis for the entire human race, which we have to resolve. All right, Dr. Jones, about six o'clock. Want to do a couple more here? One more question. One more here. All right, good one here from Cozy. Our, our B-tier asks, Dr. Jones, my son is thinking of converting to Catholicism. Can you explain to him why he needs to be baptized? Because baptism is necessary for salvation. If you refuse to be baptized, you cannot be saved. Okay? Now, just to get it off the table, 
we have the concept of invincible ignorance. So if you're a Yanomamo living in the Amazon rainforest in 500 BC, you cannot know who Jesus Christ is. And God will judge you to the extent that you will follow the moral law. And that's God's business. It's not my God, my business. But after the arrival of Jesus Christ on this earth, there is one way to salvation, one necessary condition for salvation, and it's baptism. And that is for every single human being on this earth, including the Jews. So unfortunately, Bishop Barron didn't tell Ben Shapiro that, but he should have. And I'm telling your son, it is necessary for salvation. And I'm telling you that as well. All right, there we have it. Thanks again uh, for those who just stumbled on us. This is EMJ Live. We're here every Friday at 5 on Cozy, Telegram, Rumble, all those. Uh, if you're not already subscribed to Culture Wars Magazine, go to culturewars.com and subscribe today. All of Dr. Jones' books can be bought at fidelitypress.org. Subscribe to, subscribe, subscribe to Telegram, Cozy, BitChute, all that stuff. Links and descriptions. I have no announcements. Any last words, Dr. Jones? Yes. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. All right. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll see you next week, and God bless.